Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Well, Aspire listeners, I am so excited tonight because I have a friend of the podcast back once again to provide so much wisdom. This is a guy I lean on constantly through Voxer, and I'm just so excited to have him on the podcast tonight. So, Neil, thank you so much for being on with me this evening. Yeah, I appreciate coming back. I think for for the listeners, and uh, it may be that they they don't know what Voxer is. Um, It's a walkie-talkie app. It's asynchronous. You can leave messages whenever you want. Definitely a great learning tool for me in addition to Twitter. Well, and that's how we first connected was through Twitter. And um, if you're not following Neil, you you definitely need to do that. And we're going to give his social media outlets out later and then also be in the show notes. But Neil was also a guest earlier on the Inspire podcast. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I highly recommend going back and, and learning more from Neil. But I'm excited about tonight because we're going to be hitting some pretty awesome topics with collaboration, mental health, restorative practices. So stay tuned for those. And before we go any further, Neil, I would love to hear about your leadership journey. Yeah. So you look back and kind of wonder where did did it start or where did kind of that hinge point happen? But I started as a high school math teacher and uh, was was happy doing that. I was excited. I thought that that's what I was going to do. And I think then the itch comes in uh, through uh, coursework, and it was namely through the doctoral program that really I started to see that there could be more of a reach um, at the building level and at the district level eventually. And so became a, an assistant principal in the same district in the same high school where I graduated from, uh, which was unique, and uh, did that for a year. Uh, and then the central office approached me to become their director of secondary education to oversee the middle schools and high schools curriculum. Uh, so again, did that, loved it, Thought that's what I was going to be doing in, the, in that district for the rest of my life and uh, get a phone call to come to another district and, and work with them, a very wealthy district in the state of Ohio, um, K-12, so that there's a better challenge right there. Um, and it was a great move at the time with our family. Unfortunately, uh, we, we lost a levy, um, so we're, we're funded by school taxes in the state of Ohio. They had to make some cuts, so they cut some teachers and cut a lot, significant number of teachers and and uh, administrators, and I was one of the administrators at the time. Didn't have to go too far, luckily. Uh, went to a neighboring district and have been uh, here for the past seven years as the director of secondary education, again, overseeing middle schools and high schools, and uh, just, you know, blessed to pinch myself every day, uh, being in a great district, surrounded with great leaders and a great community that supports education. That's amazing. So Neil, let's talk about your position because you know that that term <laughs> can be associated with a lot of different folks as far as what that role looks like in the district or in their state. So, what is it that you're overseeing um, as that that director? Sure. So, and and you're right. In, in the my first district as a director of secondary, I think it was curriculum. I was I was overseeing the curriculum uh, that was going on right there. It was a small district, and uh, one high school, one middle school. Uh, now, what director of secondary education means is helping to work with principals uh, from two large high schools and then two high school programs, four middle schools and another middle school experiential program. We've got an awesome curriculum department, so I don't necessarily have to get too too much into that, but at times the coordination and support that comes along with that. Um, But at the same time, um, oversee uh, student discipline at the district level, um, oversee sports to an extent, and then when new programming comes, when new graduation requirements come out, 
Um, how do we help kind of navigate through that? But I, I still got to say, I don't do that on my own. We've got an amazing team of assistant superintendent in charge of academics, uh, our academic achievement professional learning team, and, uh, and others. And we have incredible principals and, and staff that go along with it. Yeah. Let's talk about that because, you know, the collaboration between teams is so important. And obviously with the last two years of the shift in education and what we've had to deal with, you know, through the pandemic, what are some things that you're doing as a director to help hone in with your leadership team to, to collaborate? Yeah. So, so I believe that that's actually kind of my first, first and foremost role or job is to, you know, try to, try to think about that myth or that breaking that misconception or of in the same school district, are we a district of schools or are we a school district? And so, you know, I happen to always think about like, you know, if there's a great practice that's going on in one high school or one middle school, let's say, is it something that could exist at both, both of the high schools or across the district? And it may even happen to spill over into the elementaries. And so making sure there's good crisp knowledge about that um, so that we've got programs that, that feel streamlined. We always think about from a design thinking standpoint, we have to think about the end user and our end user is our parents. And we may have a parent that has children in an elementary school, a middle school, and a high school in the same family. And so how does that parent think about that they're receiving the same communication in roughly the same timeline sort of thing, and it feels consistent? And that's what we want to produce for them, this build this confidence sort of thing. And then there's this push-pull sort of thing where we definitely want there to be the culture that's built with the staff, with the principal, how the teachers and the parents and the students at a particular school how, how they want to describe their school, navigate their school, and, and make a name for their school. And so there should, there should be that. It shouldn't be lockstep. But how do you also do that in such a way where we help do that? So most of the time, it's helping to help people to slow down and sometimes you know, make sure that we're at least bringing people forward through this process of something that we're enacting. Sometimes it's invitational. Sometimes it's, hey, we just want to let you know that this building's doing that and if others would like to follow helping others to pause and, and allow that communication to take place. But other times it might, we may have to step back and say, by doing this certain thing, does it, does it, you know, create other systems of either inequity or questions that might come out? And do we need to make sure we pull back and not forever sometimes, hopefully if it's what's best for kids, we're able to kind of regroup and think about how we can do that. So we can kind of bring that, that strength forward. So um, I think about this idea of collective efficacy. I'm, you know, look, when I think about those, those concepts and, and think about, you know, the effect size that comes along with that, that powerful uh, component, how do we help kind of maybe think about that from a district level? I know you talked about the other piece of your job was coaching your principals. So what are some things that you had to learn in the job to help those who are trying to lead a building? You know, I, I think it's, and it's regardless of it's, if it's a principal in a building or it's a, a teacher in a classroom, you know, I, I wrote a blog a while back on, and, it, and the, the title of it was, you can't joystick your players. I was, I was noticing in, in this reference, and I'll come back to your question, but I was noticing one day my, my son's soccer team made it to the finals. The coach that we had at the time, still, still today, sits on the bench, does not necessarily coach loudly from the bench practices. He's, he's all out. You'll hear him. But um, on game day, he's talking to kids when they come off the field. And sometimes you worry about that when you're, when you're, when you're sitting in, in a, a, as a parent, you're kind of like what you watch the other coaches coaching and they're screaming and they're yelling and they're, 
you know, this and that. And you kind of go, well, should we have that coach? I want that coach. <laughs> well, we get to the finals and I was noticing that the other coach was just screaming and yelling at the kids and he was telling them to go left two steps and right two steps and kick it this way and kick it that way. And he just kept, you know, barking the whole time. And then I had to, and I had to realize, and, and the, here's the funny thing. We lost that game. And I, I went back and I immediately had to say, you know, I'm okay that we lost because we lost at the risk of my, my son not being joysticked. He wasn't being just told to kind of, you know, go left, go right. But even through failure, if they, they lost the game, they were able to regroup and have a conversation later about what points they lost. And my hope is, is that when they came back to the field the next time after a practice and some conversations, they would come back and be able to play the game right, that the coach would help them to have their, their own mindset to do that. So the translation of that is, is a coach, again, for a principal or a teacher, um, or really in any, any situation is, is that they're helping the person to be reflective, to think about their practices. And so I, I would say great coaches help people to reflect. If I just came in into a room and said, I think you need to do these 10 things, maybe I get the job done, but maybe it happens because they feel like they're compelled to, I'm their superior, I'm their authority figure. But ultimately we wanna be able to, for it to be conversational, we want people to feel safe. We want people to, to reflect and sometimes, you know, help them to be, to be that mirror. You know, hey, I saw you yesterday do this sort of thing. Why'd you do it in that way? And, and start to kind of help do that. And sometimes you start to diagnose and find out there was a great reason why it, they happened that way. And I'm glad I asked the question. Or sometimes it helps them to reflect to kind of say, gosh, I'm really not sure I didn't think of it that way. And, and I think you come out more powerful because of that. So I think in my role, sometimes it's to, to bring that mirror, that microscope at times, or, and to shed that light on some of the things that we do. Again, I have the luxury of ha- working with four middle schools and you know, I'm able to, because they maybe don't have the time, not that, that they're, I'm any smarter than they are. I'm sometimes just five seconds faster than them to say, hey, I actually just saw this happen in the other building. And before you stub your toe, you might want to think about this or go talk to a principal about that. Talking about soccer, you just you know, filled my heart with joy, Neil, because I played for a very long time. <laughs> so, there you go. Uh, I saw this. I saw the smile peek through. Yeah, I, I was a coach too, and that was. I definitely didn't want to be the guy yelling. I, I had coaches like that, and it's very stressful as a player to be on the field. You know, having someone bark at you constantly, and I think that's a, a great parallel to you know what we're doing as far as administration and coaching. You know, regardless if you're coaching a principal or you're coaching a teacher or a student, it's the same philosophy. So, love that metaphor. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit on you. Obviously, a lot of people are, are stressed. They've gone through a lot of struggles, not only on campus, but outside in their own lives. And I don't know about you, but I, we've seen a lot of things kind of come up since people have been back in the building as far as mental health and finding out just a lot of trauma that occurred, you know, within this short period of time. And um, there's been a lot of, of loss and, and various needs. So, you know, as far as a district and as far as a leader, what are some things that you're doing to try and help the mental health of your students and then also your staff? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the staff first. And, you know, I, in no way do I think that we've, we've got, got it right. I think that everyone's experiencing this. I work with, you know, others outside, you know, I talk with others outside of even our, our school district or even outside the role of education mm-hmm. and people are just struggling, struggling in general. And I think that, you know, first, first and foremost, we have to be able to say like, you know, from an empathy lens, like, I understand that, like I'm, I'm a central office district administrator and it might be easy to sit behind a desk and, 
you know, kind of still expect the same thing. I think we're all realizing that we thought last year was the, the hardest year. And we're realizing that this year may, may be the hardest, harder than last year, if not the same. And, you know, so I think first and foremost is bringing that an acknowledgement in. And I think that what I found out is, is that, you know, as leaders, we may all talk at a certain level and, and say, we all agree that this is tough, but I think we have to speak it out in words with our staff and help to give them relief that I understand. I see it. I, I think that I'm experiencing it too. I, I think it's good for them to hear that, not to sugarcoat and say that it, it belittles anything. So I think first and foremost, I think there has to be that sense of agreement, acknowledgement, and that it's sort of public in the sense of, you know, I, I hear you, I see you. And then after that, I, I don't think there's a silver bullet. I'm getting emails daily from vendors on here's the, the silver bullet on how you help to address learning loss and all the other concepts that are out there and everything. And you could we could look around and kind of say, gosh, we have to fix all these things and we have to adopt a thousand programs and we have to do a thousand things. But I think that what, what we've done or attempted to do in our district is to you know, try to clear the path of you know, be, being very, very careful on new initiatives, be careful to pull back and wonder why we do certain things that we do. You know, one of the things, for example, was why do we have to give exams? Semester exams are coming and final exams are coming. And can we give permission to say, let's give time back into our classrooms for instruction and not provide a, a high stakes test? And I'll get to students in a second, but even for staff to, to hear you know, they're, they're, you don't have to have that over you. And I know that people still feel like, well, I have to give that. No, no, you don't. Why, why do you feel like you have to do that? Yeah. And so I think giving that permission that's there. And then, and then finally, it's just building those, that time for community. One of our principals, I had the most perfect email, I think, that, that I've seen. And it went something like this. One of the local, I don't know if you guys have Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen is kind of like, the, okay, best ice cream, you know, whatever. And there's a local... Dairy Queen, and they donated a whole bunch of dilly bars, these ice cream with chocolate covered. And so the principal put them in the freezer in the staff lounge. And this is the email that, that, was, that he wrote and it, to the staff. And it was, you know, hey, downstairs in the staff lounge is some dilly bars. In no way do I think that this dilly bar, you know, makes up for any of the stress that's under, that you're under and somehow covers up or replaces any of it at all. But hopefully it provides a little bit of a glimpse of happiness for you as you kind of, you know, have that, that ice cream and chocolate. And I hope that you, when you come downstairs to get it, you don't just grab it, go back upstairs to your classroom, but you stay downstairs and you talk, you share, and you connect with another staff member. And, and, I, and what I loved about that beautiful part, again, it goes back to this idea of not trying to say that this toxic positivity that we keep hearing about it, as far as, you know, there's no problem or it's all butterflies and ice cream and it's going to go away, but it's acknowledging it. It's, it's, it's saying, look, when we get stressed, we tend to coil up. And, and it's one of those where we're not going to allow you to coil up, connect with others. And how do we create those opportunities for that to happen? We just had a great in-service day with our teachers uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, may, maybe teachers would say, can we just have the day off? But you know what? I don't know if that would be better. I don't know mentally if that would be better you know, what we did was in this idea of building community was how about voice and choice for, for going into sessions that teachers, you know, we tapped teachers on the shoulder and said, hey, we saw you lead a session in your building, or we know you're proficient and an expert in this certain thing. Will you run a session with your peers and share and, and do those sort of things that we created? There are about 85 teachers that, that, that raised their hand and said, yes, I will, I will present or facilitate or co-facilitate a session. And there are about 65 sessions that teachers went to with their colleagues. And I think that, you know, to be honest with you, I think that that was a, a, a form of, of mental health support to say, number one, to the ones that were presenting, we believe in you. And to the others to say, here's some voice and choice, go, go where that fills your heart. And there was 
ones from on the academic side, and there were some on the behavior side, and some on their own their own personal health and care and well-being. So that's the staff side. The student side works the same exact way, is helping to kind of be where our kids are and be in that flexible space. We can't think that it's business as usual, and we have to give our, our teachers that permission, so which gives our students that permission to be able to say, you know, things like homework. Homework may not be happening right now. Doesn't mean that the, the students checked out or anything like that, but if we're saying that 30% of the, the students' grades on homework, we've got to bring that down a lot. And we've got to give permission for, for students to be able to be in that space and place. And how do we make them build community in their classrooms? How do we help them to share their, their feelings and, and kind of what their struggles are with? And then who do they go to? This idea about having a trusted adult in your school is going to be important and building time and space and place for that. Our high schools, for example, built in uh, homerooms to, to go about, I think, once every other week. And they weren't doing that previously. But I think because of COVID, they did that for this year. And I think they're going to continue doing that in the future. Our middle schools, it's the same way. I'm seeing a lot of that happening and a lot more of our teachers even connecting with kids in the hallways and in those off times that I think helps to support them. Well, I love that initiative as far as working with the mental health of not only your staff, but your students. I know another piece is, you know, you talked about the the term learning loss and I don't know about you, but I feel like there's been a social loss with our students and having to retrain and and get them back into the swing of things on school. With that, we're seeing a lot more odd behaviors and so I know a big initiative for you on in your district, I should say, is restorative praxis. And that's obviously something dear to my heart and something we've tried to implement for the last four years. And I would love to talk about what you've started to implement within your district to kind of help the students learn the correct behavior versus just going in and, and punishing the students. Yeah, absolutely. So, and, and that's it. Like the restorative practices really... Um, when it's done right, it's, it's not done in isolation. You exactly said it perfectly was, you know, you, you might say, well, we've got a positive behavior uh, supports. The, the PBIS yep. is actually like where um, a, a majority of it begins where you start to build in that idea of, you know, do you know how to your each student's name and do you know how to say them correctly? And, and then you go from there. And as far as, you know, we talked about this idea of this culture tree. And this was so cool. Our, our high school did this. We, we, I was in a meeting with one of our assistant principals and he said, hey, I scheduled this in my building because we're, we're about to go to, to homeroom and, and, and work on these culture trees. And he, had, he and a team had developed the uh, curriculum around it. And so we went to visit some classrooms. And, and what I'm going to say is it was cool because all three classrooms that I visited were all different. And he, he looked astonished and said, that just means that they took my curriculum, looked at it ahead of time, and, and then you know, put some spin on it because they appreciate, they looked at it. They, they wanted to kind of make this their own, but you know, the culture tree is basically this idea of getting to know your kids and sometimes students be able to share and, and get to know each other. And it's the idea of a tree. They're drawing a picture of a tree, for example. And what you see usually is the branches and the leaves and that kind of stuff, which might be things like, you know, hi, my name is Neil. I used to play tennis. I love to write. I love to read the things that are kind of out there, but then you start to get into like the, the trunk of the tree, which is, you know, kind of like that base foundation of, you know, I'm Indian and I grew up as an Asian Indian in, in America. And what did that look like? And then you start to get to the roots and which are things like your beliefs. And, you know, I became a Christian and, you know, then all of a sudden you start talking about things that are really underrooted. And so it was so cool that the students started drawing one, one of the classrooms, the students were drawing their trees and then they were going to share it with each other. Really that gets to the point of not just, I can, you know, talk to each other, or I can give my outlet of what I, what I am on the surface, but 
What are those things that kind of drive me from a deeper sense? Teachers talk, first of all, sharing their tree was huge. Kids were, would never have known that otherwise. And then students being able to give that time, space, and place to be able to do that um, was powerful because they got to kind of break down barriers in the classrooms in the, in the month of September. I know we're talking about restorative practices, but we first have to understand that's where it happens first. It first happens from being part of a community first. Then we get to a place of talking with our, our principals um, about, you know, the idea of, and we've got great uh, principals and I've, I've, I get to navigate and work with them on different student issues. And I love when, when families come in over a student issue and, they're, and they're, they're kind of in this, you know, the school has written my kid off or my kid is now going to be dubbed the bad kid. And, 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 you know, we have to, in that moment, we have to be able to say, we love your child. Your child is accepted. Your kid had a bad moment possibly. And we may have to do something there. And so bringing those words in there to say things like, but when your child comes back into class, I mean, I've said this out loud just last week. I don't want you to hang your head when you walk past and, you know, cause there's that awkward moment when you see them in the hallway uh, the next day or whatever. And they're looking down like, oh my gosh, this, you know, person, principal, administrator, teacher, whatever, just got me in trouble. And there's this awkwardness that comes from that. Right. And it's one of those, like, I don't want you to do that. I want you to look me in the eye because I love you. And I, I, you know, I want you to, to come back and be part of this community. And so this idea about re-entry and into back into the culture, into the framework of this school community is so important. And it's no different than a family situation of how do you define the relationship? Josh, you and I kind of talk about this just in other realms too, of like, how do you define the relationship? And I don't know if I did that real well as a classroom teacher. Right. I threw kids out in the hall, left and right. I was like, boom, get out in the hallway, get out in the hallway as if the hallway was magical. And then I had avoidance. I was like, the bell would ring. The kid left for all I cared. I didn't care. Came back the next day in my classroom after, but we never talked to each other. We never kind of had this conversation of what you did was inappropriate. This is what the expectation is. And welcome back to class. Right. You know, right. and, and I think that those things have to be actually spoken out loud. So we're getting to this aspect of circles. Circles is a part of restorative practices where, where you might sit down in a classroom setting to have that depending on you know, what happens, but just helping kids to, to somehow have voice to, to you know, their behavior, their feelings is important. Actually, last year during, during my evaluation, my, my uh, assistant superintendent said, you don't really talk about your emotions in the workplace. I know you talk about it at home, but you don't talk about it in the workplace. And I said, no, no. I grew up in a family where you weren't supposed to talk about emotions publicly sort of thing. And, and she said, I get that. And we got to figure out how that, that can happen here. And by her just saying that, acknowledging it helped out so much. And I think that we've got to do that in the classrooms and we've got to model that in front of each other constantly. Yeah. Well, you know, you talked about like the two pieces and I think that's so true because a lot of times we talk about the reactive strategies that we're using with restorative practices. But if you don't have the proactive piece, then the base of, your structure is weak. And so I think what you're talking about, building that culture and the expectations and, and building relationships, I mean, obviously you need those to be successful when something does happen to work with the restorative practices and the teaching to, to bring them back into a culture and a setting that you've already constructed um, through love, like you said. So I, I think that's beautiful. Obviously, you know where I stand with <laughs> restorative <laughs> practices and how much I believe in it. I'm so appreciative of leaders like you and, and someone that's trying to bring this work to your district and, and it's obviously gonna impact your students and your teachers positively. The quote that keeps going through my head, I heard this last year, and I thought, think about it constantly. They're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. They're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. And I'll tell you, like I say that over and over when I get into that place where you're kind of like the student is 
getting under my skin or the student is doing this to me. And I sit there and go, really? Really, the student's really doing this to you because of you or the, the student, there's something else going on. And when you, when you help to kind of like dismantle that and, and kind of like separate that out and show the student that you're, you're not going to be, you know, react based on what you see at the service level, but, you know, to kind of drill into even the question of what's really bothering you. And, and all of a sudden they break down and go, well, because of this happened at, you know, at home last night, then you start to uncover and build relationship through that. So the Teach Better Speaking Network, we have the honor as the Teach Better team to have you a part of that. And I know that you're talking to a lot of districts and providing a lot of memorable professional development sessions. And for those who may not know of that side of, of what you do, what is it that you love to speak on? So I, lo- I love to talk about collaborative team approach. That, that's that been something for me that I've been doing for a long while. The current research that goes along with restorative practices is this aspect of like building inclusive environments, learning environments. And, and the idea about inclusivity, I, I think is really, is something important. Still kind of connected tangentially to that is student engagement. But I think inclusivity kind of, it's more than just student engagement from a classroom learning standpoint, but does a student feel safe, welcome and invited when they, when they come into your classroom? And so let's say that again, do they feel safe? Do they feel welcomed? And do they feel invite, invited as if like, you know, they're a guest and then they're part of the community versus they're intruding or, or something like that. So, you know, creating those environments. And, and again, at the classroom level, it's important. At the building level, it's important. Do our staff feel safe, welcome, and invited to, to share something that's on their mind, a concern, a question without retribution or something else that may happen? The, the whole goal, you know, it's interesting. If, if you come right to me and, and ask me, because people will do this, I get done with a, a principal meeting. We have a principal meeting each month. And people walk up to me afterwards throughout the day and go, how was your meeting? And I always kind of like, kind of close my eyes and I kind of think about it and they go, what are you thinking about? And I said, I'm thinking about their talking. How much were they talking? And what I'm trying to go back through is if I didn't hear questions and I'm gonna use the word pushback in a, in a small, like, you know, good way, in a good way. If I didn't hear that, then that means they're doing that in the parking lot. They must, they must be doing the parking lot. So did I give them space, place and comfort to question to, to probe, to give feedback, to collaborate? Or did I just talk the whole time and then I said, do you have any questions? And then crickets were chirping. If crickets were chirping, I messed up. And so we've got to be that inclusive kind of sense to our classroom. So that kind of goes in there. Um, from a collaborative team standpoint, um, the idea of how, how to help build teams and sustain teams is important. I think that's the hallmark of, of how we do school improvement. But I also think that that also extends into some design thinking principles that I think that, you know, when, especially we're coming into, you and I were talking right before we started about the graduation requirements in the state of Ohio. Well, no district has figured out graduation requirements in the state of Ohio. For example, the way I tackle a new initiative that hasn't been, you know, you can't call another district beside you and say, what'd you do last year? And let me just kind of pick up and, and drop what you did. Um, there's some great resources out there on restorative practices. There's great resources out there on PVIS, but some of the stuff hasn't been out there. So what are some tools and strategies that help you in, in these unknowns be able to kind of move faster? And what are some tools and strategies that might help do that? And for me, design thinking has been a, a huge game changer in helping to leaders to navigate forward. 
Well, if, you, if you've never heard Dr. Neil Gupta speak, I'm going to tell you it's an experience. I took notes last time. I think I ran out of space in my piece of paper because uh, it was all so powerful. So if you haven't had an opportunity to bring Neil in, you need to do it because he will definitely bring a lot of value. And then another thing that just started is coaching for you. You're coaching as an associate with Creative Leadership Solutions with uh, Mr. Doug Reeves. So I want to hear a little bit more of that and, and how you're impacting leaders through your coaching. Yeah, so it was it was just by chance. I you know um, so I am on the board with ASCD, and uh, it, it kind of goes back to that because I remember getting an Ed Leadership and Educational Leadership Journal. If you're affiliated with ASCD, you get this journal once a month. And I remember back like 15 years ago, I was like, man, one day I would love to meet this author that had written some books and articles. His name was Dr. Doug Reeves, and I was like, if I could just meet him, if I could just bump into him one day, so I could just tell him how much he he's impacted my instruction that helps students learn. And, you know, just over time, because I think that, you know, uh, there's a segment of educators that are just crazy. And uh, we, we love to go to conferences and love to be on Twitter and, you know, gobble everything up and over time built a relationship with Dr. Reeves. And so I, as we got closer, um, it got to a point where they, his company reached out and asked me to come work with them. And, and, Still, because I've got a day job of, of working in a school district and, and working with, with our uh, wonderful team, was, wasn't really quite sure how this was going to kind of go. And, and uh, turns out that just doing some coaching and what that looks like is working with some school districts and helping to provide some feedback on, on their improvement plans uh, that they have. And I think what, what, what's been great in this idea of, you know, you always feel like whenever you give, you get back more. And it's definitely been that way that I get a chance to be able to talk with other respected, intelligent people. They're navigating the same things in different states that we are. And um, you share some suggestions and ideas. And again, I feel like I'm a connector. So I'm able to say, oh, I know what you're working on. I know in other districts are working on the same thing. And this is how they got through it. And this is what you might want to think about. And then as I'm giving that, I'm also getting information from them that helps me with that next place. And so that's been one part of it. The second part of it is, is he has an amazing team they've put together. And I get to just a chance to just learn from them whenever we get on Zoom calls and things like that. Neil, I always like asking this question with all my guests. And You've probably heard this before on the podcast, but I like to give actionable items to those who are listening. If they're an aspiring leader, if they're a veteran leader, it doesn't matter. But for those who are listening right now, if they are looking to get better tomorrow or the next day, what is something that they can do to enhance their leadership journey? Yeah. So, you know, it's funny because I, it's how we began this conversation that leaders need to increase their professional learning network, that I think it's, it's not enough to just, you know, read books and, and, you know, and do that in an isolated sense, but learning is about building community and building communities about learning together. And it, it's interesting. People will tell me like, I don't want to get into that Twitter stuff and I don't want to, well, nobody says you have to go and, and, you know, give it for 30 hours a, a day sort of thing. Um, but I think that you get, you should be purposeful in connecting with, you know, two people at a time and growing in a relationship and getting to know peers and building and then building that, that will happen naturally over time. It's not about, you know, trying to get as many followers as you can. It's about developing relationships. And, and when that happens, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're able to get ideas from others and share ideas with, with others. And it's exactly the concept that I talked about when, whenever you're, you know, talking with other people, but I think that, I think that's first and foremost, I'm still amazed by the number of people, regardless of the years of experience that they have. And they tell me, they don't have colleagues outside their district. And I, I think you have to have a colleague outside your district. I think you have to have a mentor. Um, I don't care how many years of experience you have. You have to have a mentor. And um, 
if you don't have that, um, you know, there needs to be that safe space and place to be able to share and ask questions and gather ideas. Um, but I think it's so important. And, and there's, there's no right way to do it. You just, you just go out there, you kind of, you know, join a chat. You could go to uh, some of the chats that are out there, get to know some people. And after a while, you start to go, gosh, I like how this person's posting. And then you kind of go, hey, let me keep an eye on how this person is and, and then build that relationship. And that's how you and I even got to know each other. It's true. Uh, lead up chat. Yeah. You talked about social media and, and connecting with other educators. I'd love for my listeners to connect with you. So how can they do that? Sure. I'm on, I'm on Twitter. So you can find me at Dr. Neil Gupta. So D-R-N-E-I-L-G-U-P-T-A. Um, I've also got a website, www.fartertogether.org. Wonderful. Yeah, definitely connect with Dr. Neil Gupta. Also check out what he's doing, not only with his coaching sessions, but then also what he's doing as far as his speaking sessions. His professional development is fantastic. So Neil, it is always an honor to speak with you. I really do feel like I get better after each conversation as far as what I'm going to do tomorrow as, as a leader. And I just really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate always being on here.